I want to talk about three words that I hear often in the world today. And I want us to discuss and think about how do we respond to them. How many people have said to you at some point in the last 12 months, don't judge me. Have you had that? Don't judge me. There's a fear in New Zealand of being judged. And people constantly go, no, don't judge me. A couple of years ago, two teenage girls, intelligent young ladies, walked into the high school and they said, we believe we're cats and uh, we want to be treated like cats. Now, instead of the, the teacher saying, look, you look like two fairly intelligent young ladies, human beings, the teacher supported it. And I can understand why, because there's such pressure today in society not to judge people, to let people do whatever they want, choose whatever they want. Even in early childhood, when a child gets to four or five, teachers are encouraged not to tell the kids off if they don't colour within the lines. Why? Because if they colour outside the lines, that's creative and it's good, and you're, you're judging them. If you say, try and colour within the lines and develop that, that fine motor skill. If you come across people in New Zealand and they're part of a religious system where the women are treated poorly, denigrated, I would say, and, and you were crazy enough to challenge those people and say, listen, this is New Zealand. We don't treat ladies like that. The reality is you'll be, you're not only here a don't judge me, you'll probably get accused of hate speech at the same time. It's gone such a bizarre distance. Imagine a young man wakes up and he's, I don't know, 21, 22, 24, a young man, hasn't got a job, he spent the night before gaming and he slept until 12 o'clock. Mum goes in the room and says, son, shouldn't you get up and brush your teeth and try and apply for work? I can just imagine in a scene like that the son saying in our culture, hey, don't judge me. I think potentially the time is going to come when a traffic cop pulls us up for doing 10k too much, you know, past the honorary shops or something. And he goes to write us a ticket and we go, listen, mate, don't you judge me. Don't judge. That's the way culture's going. I, I can already see in schools where children get bad results back from the teacher and they challenge it and they question it. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. What is a Christian to do? When you mix with non-Christian people, one of the things you'll hear most often is, you Christians, you're all, you're all judgmental. You haters, you hate on this group and you hate on that group. And society actually thinks like that often about us as God's servants. It's so far from the truth, but they see that, they think that, they interpret things that way. So is a Christian meant to judge others? Uh, when is it okay? When is it not okay? And how do you uphold the standards of God and live the right way and vote the right way, you know, without judging other people or be seen to be judging people? I want to suggest to you in the Bible, there are three ways in which people are judged. The first two are good and the third one is bad. The Bible actually tells us to judge people, particularly if they're preaching from the Bible we're meant to test it against the word of God and we're to judge for what I call identification. Judge to see, is this preacher, is this leader, are they one of God's servants? Are they trying to manipulate people or control people or get money out of people's pockets? There's several scriptures in the New Testament that speak about wolves where God's prophets say, look out for the wolves. Where Apostle Paul says, look out for wolves amongst you. Now, when I see a word in the Bible, I always go back to the very first time that was used. 
And I found in Ezekiel 22, verse 27, this. Wolves are those people who hurt the flock, who are really only after people's money. And so if you hear someone, and they're just telling stories that's not anchored on Scripture, and, and they're trying to fleece the flock, get every penny out of the pews, and they go on and on about giving. Have your, have your antenna up. You be cautious. I've been in churches where uh, the church leaders have said, I've visited churches where the church leader has said, we've got a building project on, so I know you've got a mortgage families, but please increase your mortgage to give more to the building. I've been in churches where the preacher said, you might be struggling to pay your bills, but you need to give this amount of money to the church. It's your, it's your priority. Now, I've seen miracles when people give by faith. I absolutely have. But when pressure is put on people, when the freedom's not to seek God as to how much you give and what you do, and it's hammered, give, give, give. I've, been, I've visited churches where the, the offering talk is 20 minutes long before we take up the offering. Something is wrong. The Bible says you can judge for identification. You should judge for identification. Is it scriptural? Is it biblical? Is this a wolf or is this one of God's servants? Are they feeding the people or are they fleecing the people? Very, very different. Be aware of the wolves. Also, we're to be fruit inspectors. So we judge for identification and we're allowed to inspect the fruit. Matthew 7 verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So there is a place for judgment. There really is. Man, when you hear a sermon, on a, listen to a podcast, watch on TV, hear me or someone else speak, test it against the word. And watch out what the motivation is. Is the person trying to use people and fleece people, or is the speaker trying to help people and to build them up? Judgment for identification. There's also judgment for restoration in the Bible. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if, if any other believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. James 5 verse 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. In 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5, there's a list of things, and they're written in the present continuous. So if people do these things like it just happens and it's once every 10, 20 years, not a big problem. But if these things are repeated in someone's life, it's a huge problem. And 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 1, uh, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6 lists these sins. It says, if a person's a drunkard, what's a drunkard? A person's a drunkard if they don't just have a glass of wine or just a can of beer. They drink till it affects their mind. Now I suggest to you that if someone's drinking till it affects their thinking patterns, half a dozen times a year, that's a serious problem. 
serious problem. I suggest you it is. Uh, it says immoral people have no part in the kingdom of God. What's an immoral person? An immoral person is someone who sleeps with someone they're not married to and they do it multiple times. It's, it's present continuous. Greedy people, uh, selfish people, uh, abusive people, it says. A thief will have no part in the kingdom of God. Sin's a serious thing, and sin in the body of Christ is a serious thing. Judge for restoration. If you see someone starting to go down that track, if you love them, you don't just hug them and smile and say, how nice to see you. If you love them, you say something. You judge for restoration. Back in Ratahi, when I was a pastor, there was an amazing elder called Dr. Jim Corbett. Just had a couple of elders in that church, and... um, there's a man in our church who'd been there for years and he had come out to a status in the community. He was a really important man, a man we loved, a man we respected. And for many, many years he lived a fantastic life and he was worthy of the honour he was given. And then all of a sudden it seemed to us he fell in love with a very young lady in the community. And within weeks of falling in love with this much, much younger girl, she moved in with him. And scripture tells me that if you see someone's falling off track, go to them one person at a time, Matthew 18. If they don't listen, take two. And if they still don't listen, take it to the leadership of the church. For some reason, I just went to step number three. I did. And I grabbed this elder and I said, look, our friend, our brother is doing this. He's been jacked up for a week with this lady. Can't believe it. He's such a wise, good man. And this man, Dr. Corbett and I, this elder and I decided we'd go and see him. Now, I, the visit was fantastic, but what impacted me the most was the way this elder prayed. So he met me in the church, and we knelt down together, and we just began to pray for this brother of ours. And Jim Corbett prayed like this. He said, Lord, any one of us could sin. Any one of us could be in a situation where all the awful um, conditions are there, making it easy for Satan to tempt and to drag us aside. We could have sinned, Lord. Thank you for your grace that you've kept us thus far. And then we just poured out our love for this man in prayer. We went once to see him, and straight away he ended the relationship, and everything got put right, and he was fully restored in the church. What impacted me, I mean, I was not surprised this godly man came back on track quick, but what impacted me was the elder's prayer. This elder, this godly man, this church planter actually, you know, he had no judgment in his heart toward his brother who's off track. All he had was a concern. See, if someone starts sinning and, and they continue to do it, their hearts, their consciences become seared, their hearts become hardened. And if you leave them in that sin for a period of time, there can come a time where they say, I know the Bible says we shouldn't do this, but it seems okay to me. And they don't get it anymore. They don't get the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. A loving Christian if we see our sister or brother going off track, we'll humbly go, quietly go, get alongside and say, boy, we love you. That what you've just begun to do, this track you're going down, it's really dangerous. Turn now, turn now and come home. So we should judge for identification. We should judge for restoration. But the sort of judgment we can't bring is what I would call judgment to condemnation. Christians aren't to identify someone's sin and say, flip that guy's an egg, that, that lady, she's so stupid, you know, they're doing this, and walk away. 
That's not in the book. That is not in the book. It's not for us to look at people and say, gosh, I don't like people like that, or I don't like people who do this, or I don't like people who do that. No, we, we love the person. We hate the sin. It's not in the book. There's not an option for Christians to look at someone and judge and not try and restore them. There's not an option to look at someone and say, look, you're awful. I'm just going to walk away. I have nothing to do with you. That's not what we do. Christians come with a heart to serve and a heart to bless and a heart to direct people to Jesus. Identification, absolutely. Restoration, absolutely. Condemnation, not at all. We're about to open a parable together this morning. And this parable is going to show us, in Jesus' very memorable words, how we're to treat each other in community, and particularly in the church. And I'm hoping as we open the parable, it begins to answer the question of don't judge me. You see, I find personally in community, if I'm out there saying to people who don't believe, hey, stop doing this and that's bad and stop doing this, they're not going to listen to me, are they? They're probably just going to say, that's a judgmental guy, that Russell. I can go out in the community and say, I am pro this. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-babies having a choice. I'm pro, I'm pro, I'm pro, I'm pro this. I think that's constructive. But we're foolish to believe that the non-Christian would want to live by our standards if they don't believe it. Now, if someone says to me, Russell, I want to connect with God, I'll explain who Jesus is, and then I'll tell them what sin is and what they've got to repent straight away. And they'll get it black and white. They'll get it black and white. This is sin. This is not going to work. You need to turn from it and ask specific forgiveness for it. So there's a place, boy, to bring out sin. Uh, before someone's saved, and bring out sin and point out sin once someone is saved and is struggling. I want us to look at the parable of the weeds this morning. And I'm really hoping, as we live in this culture where it seems to me everyone's saying, don't judge me, let me do what I want, you know, that we've given some real wisdom from the Lord about how to respond and how to live in a way where people look at us and go, well, they're loving people, and yet they live differently. They've got a different standard. They're not putting us down, they're helping us up. Would you stand with me, please, as I read the first half of the parable? Here's another story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy must has done this, the farmer explained. Shall we pull out the weeds, they asked. <clears throat> no, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let's both grow together. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I'll tell you the harvesters. Tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat into the barn. Please be seated, friends, for approximately two minutes. Bioterrorism's been around for a long time. Bioterrorism isn't a new thing. And if you didn't like your neighbour, the farmer living next door, what you would do, and it was a common practice, was to, once he'd sowed wheat in his field, you'd go along and you'd sow bearded darnel seeds. Now, bearded darnel looks like wheat. Same colour as wheat. It looks like wheat. It smells like a young wheat plant. And you only know it's a weed when it matures. 
When wheat matures, there's heads on it. Grain can be picked. When bearded Darnell matures, there's nothing on it. It's fruitless. It's, it's pointless. It's taken up nutrients. It's taken up space. It's just a weed. It's not going to feed anybody. They come to the farmer and they say, look, listen, Mr. Farmer, there's weeds have been planted in the field. Let's rip the weeds out. Let's have a go at sorting it out ourselves. And the farmer says, no, because if you do, you'll rip out some wheat. Some of the valuable plants as well will be damaged. The weeds are too hard for you to identify. Let them grow together. Then on harvest day, the harvesters will do the separating. Then the darnel will be burned and the wheat will be brought into the barn. Would you stand with me, please, for the explanation of this parable? It's my way of making sure you don't go to sleep during my 20 minutes, friends. There we are. <laughs> now, I respect the word of God. The older I get, the more I realize the things in here change lives in a way that nothing I could say ever would. It's just powerful. Let me read to you the explanation. Matthew 13, 36 to 43. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went to the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is a farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as weeds are sorted and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Please be seated. You and I can't be sure when we look at a person, is that person a Christian or not? You know, good Christian people have grumpy days sometimes. They have days where their kids keep them up all night and they're only just functioning the next day and and you and I could look at someone and go, gosh, that, that person's too grumpy and too impatient to be a Christian. I don't think they're a real Christian. And we won't get it right. Only God knows the heart of a person. Kiwis often say, oh, I can see you've got a good heart. Actually, you can't. Actually, you can't. Only God knows the heart of a person. Only God knows what you really like. And when you look at a group of people and you think, that one's a real Christian, that one's not a real Christian, oh, I've got concerns about this one, it gets pretty scary. God loves his kids. He protects his kids. He doesn't want his kids bruised or hurt. And if we go around judging, if we go around saying, they're not a real Christian, or that denomination, or that, that church is no good, and we come in there and we try and pull the weeds. We pull out the Constitution, check their faith against everything we can find in their faith statement, check they're okay, damage is going to be done. We're not qualified to do that. Only God is qualified to do that. Are there going to be weeds? Absolutely. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that there would be false believers in the church. In Galatians 1, he wrote about a false gospel would come into the church. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul wrote about a false Christ, an antichrist. And in Revelations 2, there's even a mention of a false church. There's going to be infiltration. There's going to be in every congregation... Hopefully the tiniest proportion, but there's going to be some people 
who haven't got a relationship with Jesus personally. You know, for the first 313 years of Christianity, Christians were persecuted horribly. You read stories of people being crucified upside down, lots of beheadings, lots of people fried alive in oil, people starved, people sawn in half, just people fed to lions for entertainment for the masses. Horrific persecution for 313 years. Then at AD 313, um, Constantine issued an edict. And he said, from now on, Christianity is the acceptable religion of the nation. And we're going to merge Christianity with the state. And it's going to become our religion. And Christianity went from being hated people, persecuted people, misunderstood people, to being totally infiltrated. As soon as it became nice and looked proper and it was acceptable and persecution stopped, the church had just grown under persecution at an incredible pace. And through miracles and transformation, all of a sudden began to flounder and struggle. The enemy had sown seed within the church. So what should we do, friends? What should we do in this season? There are churches that believe very different things. There are people that say, oh, we don't believe in the Holy Spirit. We don't like water baptism. We don't need to mention repentance and sin. Surely people work it out themselves in time. You know, when I hear that stuff, I, I, something in me goes, I, I just want to stand up and just point a few things out. And I wonder if I did that, if it would do much good in many situations. Far better to preach the word and surround yourself with godly people and let God do the judging. Interesting in scripture, he doesn't give us a space to judge people for condemnation. God doesn't give us an example where Christians can say, I don't like you. I don't like your type of people. I don't like this group. Forget your hands off. I'm having nothing to do with you. That is not in my Bible. Instead, judgment is to be left for God, to God. Loving is to be left for people. We're so familiar with that passage that people would look at us and say, look at the way they love each other. Surely they're his disciples. You say, well, I want to love Christians, but I'm not sure that she's a Christian. I'm not sure that he's a Christian. Another scripture comes to mind. Love your enemies. Be good to those who treat you terribly. Just love your, so if they're, you're not sure if they're a Christian, love them. If they're your enemy and you're pretty convinced they're not Christians, love them. <laughs> his job is to judge. Our job is to love when we deal with people and particularly people within the church and the variety of the church in all its different shapes and sizes. Whether a person says they're a Christian and he or she is my brother or sister, it's irrelevant. My job's the same, just to love them. I'm not worried about bad people facing justice. That's a done deal. I... I get really, really upset when I see situations where children are being hurt. Like it messes with my head and I have trouble switching off from it. It just really, really gets to me. But I know that I know that I know that those people will never get away with it one day. And I may or may not be able to bring them to justice. I may or may not be able to protect the person. Sometimes it's things you read in the book or you watch on the news. But I know they won't get away with it. I know one day every person's going to be, have to give an account before the Lord and they'll be dealt with and dealt with strongly. I'm not concerned about people facing justice. It's going to happen. I am concerned about living God's way every day and that's the way of love. There's one last thought I want to leave with you just to show you how big the vision is 
that the body of Christ cross-nominationally should truly love each other and serve each other. As you know, Church Unlimited has, as a movement has eight cultures, like eight things that define our DNA. And some of these things are familiar with other churches. Some are just slightly different. I think the emphasis we put on prayer is slightly different, you know. <clears throat> and I wonder if the emphasis we put on unity between churches is slightly different as well. Value number eight or belief statement number eight, uh, culture number eight, together we are stronger. We are champions of unity. As a congregation, we want to take a lead in supporting other churches in the region and helping us all work together. The region won't be saved until we're all working together. Let me tell you something, church. <clears throat> if you were to be a fly on the wall at an elders' meeting, you would hear the elders say this in some form with passion, that we love the other churches of the city that we want to bless them and serve the other churches of the city. They might look really, really different to us. They might do things very differently to us, but there's a, there's a heart, there's a vision, there's a passion to bless and to serve and to bring unity. I look around the church and I realise most of you are super, super, super busy people. And so I wouldn't go around saying, look, we'd have six people to do this for that church and can we have ten to help this church? I just think spontaneously over time things like this are going to happen. Imagine one day C3 is doing an outreach and they haven't got enough people and they haven't got enough resources. I can imagine our family, members of our family, this church, just coming alongside and saying, I don't want to mention, don't want anyone to know we're from Church Unlimited. We're just Christians. Hey, can we support you in that outreach? Can we be a team with you? I can imagine this church <coughs> hearing about another church doing a working bee and maybe it's an older congregation like the Anglicans or Presbyterians, you know, and we hear about a working bee and they haven't got enough people. I can imagine people from this church just rocking up, not claiming any credit, not saying where we're from, other than just going to bless them, going to serve with them. I, I can imagine a church in this city having a prayer meeting, and maybe it's a small group and they're struggling, they're having a prayer meeting. I can imagine... A bunch of people from this church just turning up at the prayer meeting to bless them and to pray for them and to pray for the church without looking for anything back in return. When I hear the elders speak about unity, I hear a big vision. And I really believe things like this are in our future. It's in our DNA. We've got a role to play in this city that is not judgmental towards other churches, but is building other churches up and blessing them and supporting them. In this day and age, I don't think we'll advance the gospel by expecting the world to live up to God's standards if they don't believe them. They need to hear the gospel, then they need to hear how holy God is and what sinners to meet him. We're going to live by the gospel. We're going to live by God's standards. When it comes to voting on things and surveys are put out and policies are sought, we're going to have a Christian voice and we're going to speak up and say this is what we believe. We'll be proactive in it. <clears throat> we will judge for identification, people who preach the word or lead or are on ministries on TV. We will judge for restoration because we love people enough to say something, to do something. But we won't be judging people and especially we won't be judging other churches for condemnation. We'll be champions of unity, secret agents of love in the city, a force for the kingdom of God. I believe that's happening 
I believe it's going to happen more and more in the months and years ahead. Would you stand with me? I guarantee most weeks of your life you're going to hit situations where Christians are being accused of being judgmental. Or you're going to wonder, because you live by a different set of standards, what do you do in this context or that context? I just want to pray for you and for me. The Holy Spirit guides us practically. And the love of Christ within us and within the city to other churches and to other people becomes something profound, becomes something awesome, something kingdom-orientated, something totally unexpected, that this church, this congregation of real God-loving people will make a difference in the city and bless the city by demonstrating a different kingdom, a different way of living. Let's pray together. Jesus, you've caused us to be born in this time where it's politically correct to say whatever works for you, mate. All religions are the same. Always lead to God, whatever works for you. We've been born into the season, Lord God, where people are, are, are almost ready to be judged and look to be judged and about to react before we open our mouths. But you've born us for this season. You've forced us to be born in this season. And God, when you appoint people to do things, when you give us life, you give us the equipment, the resources, the wisdom to do well in it. And so, Father, we've been placed in Whangarei. We've been born for this season. And so we come to you and we say, Lord, this week, this week especially, may we be secret agents of love. May people see in our eyes and our words and our actions a kingdom supernatural type of love that they weren't expecting, that challenges thinking, that brings down objections against the church and against the name of Christ. Lord God, help us not to judge people for condemnation, but to love people enough to restore them and point them back on the right track, to love your word enough to test the things that we hear preached on TV or on podcasts and to judge for identification. Father, give us wisdom, give us your power and give us love. Lord, our job we accept. Your job is to judge people, God. We accept our job. This week, help us love people. In his name, and for his glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you, friends.